Hello, and welcome to the History of Japan podcast, episode 25, The Shadow Shogun. I'm safely ensconced in my new place, set up and ready to record. Sorry for missing an episode last week. I do my best to avoid it when possible, but sometimes these things can't be helped. The good news is, it should be unlikely that I'll miss another deadline, until at least December or so, when finals run around. Anyway, on with the show. This week, we're going to talk about a man who helped shape the political order of modern Japan. Some of its successes, and many of its failures, can be traced back in whole or in part to his effect on the Japanese political machine. Depending on who you ask, he was either a champion of the people, or a corrupt kleptocrat who abused his power without a second thought. Regardless of how you feel about him, he was, without a doubt, one of the most important politicians in Japanese history. I refer, of course, to the infamous Tanaka Kakue. Tanaka Kakue was born in 1918 in the village of Futada in Niigata Prefecture, the only son of his parents who had six daughters. Niigata is located along the western coast of the main Japanese island of Honshu. I'll put up a map on the website so you can see where exactly it is. This accident of geography and birth would eventually become one of the defining features of Tanaka's career. Western Japan, the part that is that faces Siberia rather than the Pacific Ocean, tends to be regarded as somewhat bumpkinish and out of the way. The area received almost no attention from the Meiji government, aside from ensuring regular collection of taxes and the smooth operation of conscription. It was generally ignored in favor of the far richer eastern Pacific coastline. It's worth mentioning at this point that the only knowledge we have of Tanaka Kakue's youth comes from Tanaka Kakue, and thus has to be taken with a grain of salt. A lot of his life story was probably sculpted to contrast his upbringing as a self-made man with the well-off hereditary elites of Tokyo. Tanaka's most well-known English biographer went so far as to refer to tales of Tanaka's childhood as, quote, staples of Japanese political lore, his country's equivalent to the Lincoln Log Cabin legend. Tanaka's father, Tanaka Kakuji, was a decently well-off farmer in the area. Tanaka Kakue himself would probably have inherited that job, if not for yet another accident of history. His father was a terrible businessman, and the family dairy farm into which he invested all his money went belly up. According to Tanaka, his father, after the failure of this business venture, became a destitute and a drunk. At one point, he telegrammed the family directly from a nearby gambling ground, begging them for money to pay off his gambling debts. The upshot of all this was that Tanaka, at the age of 16 in 1934, decided to take a chance and strike out to Tokyo and try and make it on his own. According to his own recollections, his mother, when he left, gave him some money and admonished him to behave well in the city. The cash, she said, should be tucked in his waistband at all times because, quote, if you die in an accident and you have no cash, people will laugh at you. Tanaka was far from alone in his exodus to Tokyo. The city's population was exploding at this point, with massive migration from the countryside, as children of farmers realized that farming, frankly, is pretty hard work, and decided to try their luck somewhere else. Again, according to Tanaka's recollections, upon arrival in Tokyo he was treated as yet another ignorant country boor by the well-heeled city slickers of the big city. Again, we have to take this with a grain of salt, since it does jive with the political persona 
that he crafted for himself later in life. It could just be a myth he created to try and go along well with what he told other people about himself. What we do know is that he worked a series of odd jobs in the city to pay for an education in architectural drafting and engineering. He was pretty good at it, and by 1937 managed to set up his own one-man firm. Two years later, however, his plans would be foiled by global events. In March 1939... In 1939, he was drafted to join the cavalry and sent to Manchuria. He ended up serving as a clerk and never saw combat, but did manage to earn the ire of his superiors, who beat him regularly for everything from not wearing the correct shoes, to keeping a picture of an American pinup girl in his barracks, calling her my kind of woman, an indication in the minds of his superiors that he was far too westernized, and even for having the gall to grow a mustache when he was, in the eyes of the army, not nearly man enough for one. We'll get into the wartime Imperial Japanese army at a later point, but for now, just know that beatings like this were pretty common occurrences. Fortunately, Tanaka managed to get himself discharged, before the Chinese, the Russians, or his own superiors could kill him, and after about one year of serving, he contracted pneumonia and had to be medically discharged. However, Tanaka was far from a pacifist. Upon returning to Japan, he immediately began attempting to serve his country in his own way, as a wartime construction tycoon. His firm became one of the chief subcontractors to the Riken Industrial Group, one of the major industrial firms in Japan and, among other things, the leader in Japan's abortive atomic bomb project. Tanaka also got married upon his return, hitching himself in 1942 to a woman named Sakamoto Hana. Unusually, Hana was seven years his elder, but she had one important thing in her favor. Through her, he inherited her father's construction enterprise and added it to his own, increasing the size of his own holdings immensely. According to his own recollections, upon their marriage, Hana asked for only three promises for their life together. That he never throw her out, that he never beat her, and that if he ever got to go to visit the Imperial Palace, she would be allowed to come. He did, in fact, keep all three of those promises, but note that fidelity was not one of them. She never asked for it, and Tanaka was very open about not giving it. Tanaka's star continued to rise, and in 1945 he was awarded a lucrative contract to transfer a factory from Japan to Korea. Unfortunately for him, when the surrender came, he was still in Korea, with a giant pile of money and no factory. Fortunately for him, unlike the hundreds of thousands of Japanese on the mainland who took years to get home, and were often subjected to brutal treatment by the locals, Tanaka managed to get in ahead of the curb. As soon as he heard word of surrender, he hopped on a train for Busan, and then got on a special military ferry back to Japan reserved for women and children on August 20th. Later in life, he sheepishly attributed the ride on this ferry to clerical error, the crew having mistaken his masculine first name, Kakue, for the feminine first name, Kikue. Of course, that's probably not how it went down, since he would imagine they'd be able to tell he wasn't a lady based on the mustache and the suit and whatnot. Tanaka sailed back to Japan ten days after surrender. More importantly, he sailed back with all the money he had been given by the Japanese government to set up that factory. He had promised his workers he would donate it to, quote, the new state of the Korean people, but then he appeared to have regretted his generosity and instead pocketed all the cash to the tune of 15 million yen. So, here we have some idea of the nature of the man. Able to hobnob with elites, 
which is how he was able to get these kind of excellent construction jobs, but careful to craft a man-of-the-people image. Very charming, but clearly interested in his own welfare above that of others. In other words, he was the perfect politician. In 1946, he ran for office for the first time, looking for a seat in the first free elections for the new diet. He was, however, unable to mobilize much support, and got only 4% of the vote for his district of Niigata. In 1947, however, he was able to ally himself with the conservative Minchito, or Democratic Party, and placed third overall in his district, securing himself his first seat in the Diet. During this time, he came to the attention of Yoshida Shigeru, that great post-war planner, and was even awarded a cabinet position in Yoshida's first government as Vice Minister of Justice. At this point, however, Tanaka ran into a pretty serious hitch. In December 1948, he was arrested on charges of taking 1 million yen in bribes from coal mining groups in Kyushu in exchange for favorable bidding deals. He was eventually cleared in 1951, but in the meantime he continued to win elections regardless. However, Yoshida and company distanced themselves from him as a result, Yoshida saying of the man famously they couldn't afford to be associated with Tanaka because, quote, Tanaka is a man who walks on the fence of jail. He was forced to leave the cabinet and go back to being a regular diet member. Tanaka, it seems, was unconcerned by the whole incident, remarking that, quote, you can't be called a man if you are afraid to go to jail once or twice. So, did he actually commit a crime? Well, he admitted to taking the money, which he claimed was for his construction company as an advance for some work they were doing, and he admitted to voting in favor of the coal interests, but he claimed the two things were completely unrelated. He will use this excuse a lot in the future, claiming when he's caught accepting money that it's just a business thing, and that his business and political careers were separate things he would continue to be accused of bad behavior for the rest of his career, but developed an artful ability to dodge or explain away scandals, remaining a member in good standing of the governing LDP after it was formed in 1955. For example, he took advantage of the anti-leftist leanings of conservative MPs, and the fact that a lot of his accusers tended to be leftists, to use ad hominem attacks on his accusers to distract from their accusations. For example, a socialist diet man who accused Naka of corruption was famously censored by the LDP-controlled diet for, quote, spreading slander. So how was Tanaka so successful if he was so scandal-prone? The fact was that he knew his constituents in Niigata, knew what they wanted, and was prepared to deliver it. Development. Niigata was famously underdeveloped and ignored by the central government. Tanaka promised to bring some sweet public works money to his home district. He formed an association of political supporters called the Etsuzankai, or the Crossing the Mountains Association. As the name implies, its central purpose, and Tanaka's chief political platform, was to bridge the gap between the rich Pacific coast and Niigata, and the Japan Sea coast more generally. He wanted government money to cross the mountains into his home district. He was able to use this policy platform, as well as his personal history as a self-made man, to cast himself as a man of the people, and his so-called iron constituency, so-called because they would vote for him no matter what, was comprised mostly of the poor and downtrodden of Niigata, who wanted their prefecture to get a fair shake of the action. How did Tanaka secure this public works money for his district? Well, there were two groups of people he had to work through to do it. 
his fellow Diet members, and the Japanese bureaucracy. The solution to both was relatively simple. Lots of favors, and lots of bribery. Tanaka would use the bribes he himself took, and occasionally the legitimate political funds he raised, to either provide these people with gifts, or to garner influence to make their problems go away. For example, one diet man who was about a million yen in debt let slip to Tanaka that he was in fact in debt and saw his entire debt erased overnight. Another more upstanding diet man refused to take Tanaka's gifts, and Tanaka, refusing to take no for an answer, took advantage of Japanese customs to force him to take them. Gifts of money at weddings are considered traditional, so Tanaka simply gave his gift as a wedding present when the man got married, forcing the diet man to either accept it and be tainted by it, since, of course, who's going to believe, oh no, I didn't actually want that pile of money, or to publicly refuse it, insult Tanaka, and guarantee the full ire of Tanaka's backers being drawn down on him. He would also do favors for opposition leftists, including socialists, communists, and members of the liberal Buddhist party called the Kolmeto, or Clean Government Party. Since these were opposition parties for nearly 40 years, they needed contacts in the governing party to get anything done, and Tanaka was happy to be a facilitator. He would use his influence in the Diet to do favors for other Diet members, accruing a larger and larger circle of people he had helped. Some Diet men became his loyal supporters in exchange for this help. They were collectively referred to as the Tanaka Gundan, or Tanaka's army, and he as their general. Tanaka used the favors owed him to get two influential posts in the 1960s and 70s, Minister of Finance and Minister of International Trade and Industry. At this point, the Japanese bureaucracy was the most powerful unelected civil service in the entire world, meaning their help was necessary to get that money across the mountains. At this time, the Ministry of Finance and the Ministry of International Trade and Industry were the two most powerful wings of that most powerful of bureaucracies. He used these positions to develop friends and allies inside the bureaucracy. Unlike most politicians, he took a keen interest in the work of individual bureaucrats and went out of their way to praise them and appeal to their vanity. He would refer to them as the geniuses of all Japan and himself as their humble student. He also gave regular gifts to his friends and underlings in the bureaucracy, totaling around 20 million yen a year to some estimates. To give you some idea of the gifts, here's a story told by Bo Hideo, Tanaka's successor as Minister of Finance. Quote, When I entered the minister's room, a finance ministry leader secretly whispered in my ear, As you may know, we want you to distribute appropriate mid-year and end-year presents to make ministry management smooth. This has been customary practice since Tanaka was finance minister. Cosmetics should be alright for telephone operators, neckties for clerks, Saint Laurent brand neckties for staff at the subdivision level, and separate packages for the division directors and above. What do separate packages mean? Well, the man went on to specify that money equal to their bonuses would be alright. With 200 people in the Ministry of Finance holding the position of division director or higher, and average bonuses of 500,000 yen each, that's 10 million yen once every six months just for that group of people alone. Those Saint Laurent neckties, for example, will run you about 250 bucks a pop on the cheap end on top of that. For reference, in 1973, the dollar-to-yen exchange rate was 1 to 271.7. Factoring in inflation, in 2013 dollars, that's around $400,000 a year in gifts 
just for the top level of only one ministry. Tanaka's connections in the various ministries also meant that when there was an inter-ministry dispute, he could step in and act as the peacemaker. Ironically, he would publicly denigrate bureaucrats, as befit his populist image, but in private he was in bed with them all the way. In each of these cases, he was careful never to ask for anything in exchange, but relied on the feeling of indebtedness or obligation that recipients of his help would have to keep them in his court. He then used his bureaucratic and parliamentary support to gain approval for massive public works projects for Niigata. Most famously, as we talked about in episode 20, Japan as number one, at one point he set up a bullet train station in Niigata that was bigger than the town it actually served. These projects brought construction jobs to the area and improved the standard of living for everyone, increasing his popularity in Niigata and locking up his constituency so thoroughly that he didn't even have to campaign anymore. As this style of politics became more dominant, it earned the Japanese state a new nickname. Rather than being a Minshukoka, or democratic state like the U.S., or a Shakaikoka, or a socialist state like the USSR, Japan was a Dokenkoka, a construction state. Of course, this system has two key flaws. It's dependent on constant public works money, even when projects are clearly unnecessary and unprofitable, which drain the nation's finances, and it relied on Tanaka having continuous income to maintain his various friendships. Tanaka's career was dependent on the bribes never stopping, or the whole thing would fall apart. In 1972, when Sato Esaku was forced out of power, Tanaka was able to outmaneuver his rival for power, Fukuda Tatkeo, for the presidency of the LDP, and draw on his friends to become the next prime minister. In his new position, Tanaka was more influential than ever, and continued to push his friend of the people image, taking his system of pork barrel projects national, and further extending his network of friends. Of course, all of this necessitated yet more spending, which necessitated yet more bribes. Famously, Tanaka spent so much money as prime minister that when his successor as head of the LDP began his tenure, he found the party coffers completely empty and the LDP in debt for 10 million yen. Tanaka was, it seemed, at the zenith of power and functionally untouchable. However, in 1976, they all caught up to him. As part of the pro-transparency church committee hearings in the U.S., which took place after the Watergate scandal, the head of Lockheed Corporation, which had been bailed out by the U.S. in 1971, testified that his company had given out $22 million in bribes to foreign officials in exchange for contracts. Japan was one of the countries named, with Tanaka receiving $3 million in exchange for arranging the purchase of Lockheed planes by the Japanese partially public airlines, All Nippon Airways and Japan Airlines. The whole Lockheed scandal is absolutely fascinating. Lockheed also bribed Japan aerial SDF officers to arrange the purchase of Lockheed fighter jets, and a friend of Tanaka and right-wing underworld kingpin and member of the Yakuza named Kodama Yoshiro who was also a former indicted war criminal and a member of several ultranationalist societies in World War II, was implicated in the scandal. Kodama, by the way, and I swear I'm not making this up, was almost assassinated by a politically-minded porno actor named Mayano Mitsuyasu when the latter rammed his private plane into Kodama's home. The upshot for Tanaka was that this scandal could not be covered up. He was arrested and charged with bribery and for violating international exchange laws. 
As an indicted criminal, he could no longer be prime minister, and it seemed likely he would lose his seat in the 1976 elections. He didn't, though. Despite the scandal, he remained remarkably popular in his home district. And after all, he hadn't been convicted of anything yet, just accused. He was still in power, and his friend network, though it could not protect him against the bribery charge, remained in place. He still held a tremendous amount of political leverage. He was able to use this power to become a political kingmaker. Since he couldn't make himself PM anymore, he simply began nominating PMs for his faction to support. Since Tanaka's support made their election possible, the Prime Minister would remain in his debt. This is where he earned his totally awesome nickname, Yamino Shogun, or the Shadow Shogun. He ruled from behind the scenes in his lavish home in the Mejiro district of Tokyo. Tanaka remained the obvious power behind every Prime Minister to follow him. Everyone knew that regardless of who was in charge at the time, the person to go to if he wanted something done was Tanaka Kakue. Meanwhile, his trial continued until 1983. He was eventually convicted, and handed the heaviest sentence ever given to a Japanese politician. 500 million yen in fines and four years in jail. The conviction set off a national storm. Opposition parties wanted Tanaka out of power, but Prime Minister Nakasone Asuhiro was dependent on the Tanaka army to stay in power, and most of the LDP was in Tanaka's debt one way or another. The issue of whether to vote on Tanaka's expulsion from the Diet paralyzed the country for a month, and Prime Minister Nakasone considered dissolving the Diet and calling new elections to fix the problem. One newspaper contained an editorial stating, quote, Has politics become so distorted to the point that a parliamentary dissolution is considered just to rescue a man who is under fire for his moral and political responsibilities? In the words of Tanaka scholar Jacob Schlesinger, quote, The answer was yes. Elections were held on December 18, 1983, and though the LDP lost a lot of seats in the election, Tanaka's backers mostly held on to theirs, only two lost. Their constituents didn't want to see the pork barrel money dry up, and as a result, Tanaka's faction actually gained in relative influence after the elections. Nowhere was this more true than in Tanaka's home district of Niigata. Tanaka won by the largest margin of any candidate in the country, beating his closest competitor in his race by a 400% margin. Tanaka was seen by his constituents as a martyr. Having stuck up for the interests of poor rural Niigata, he was now being slapped down by uncaring city slickers from Tokyo. As for the conviction, Tanaka immediately posted bail and appealed, and continued to do so for ten more years, eventually reaching the Japanese Supreme Court. It seemed at this point that he was unstoppable, not even the law could bring him down. But eventually, he was brought down, by something he never saw coming, his own allies. Among Tanaka's gundan were his three chief lieutenants and disciples, Takeshi Tanoboru, Ozawa Ichiro, and Kanemaru Shin. The three men, being very ambitious, began to chafe under Tanaka's leadership, most notably Takeshita, and desired to strike out on their own. In 1985, the three men, after a year of secretive plotting, which according to some recollections included blood oaths to secrecy, broke out from under Tanaka's faction and took a third of that faction's membership with them. How'd they do it? By learning from the master. They dropped a cool 100 million yen in bribes to peel these people off. Tanaka was completely caught off guard and enraged by the betrayal. 
reportedly shouting at several of his guests that he would crush Takeshita and his new faction. He might well have done it, too, but the stress of it all finally caught up to him. Three weeks after Takeshita's move, Tanaka suffered a massive stroke. Tanaka was hidden from public view by his supporters for nearly two years. Details of his condition were unknown to the public, as his loyalists, led by his daughter Tanaka Makiko, were still fiercely protective of their boss. By the way, despite being unable to make public appearances, in 1986 he yet again won re-election. On New Year's Day 1987, Tanaka made his first public appearance since the stroke, calculating that this would rally his supporters. In fact, it had the opposite effect. Half of Tanaka's face was paralyzed, and he had gained an incredible amount of weight. He was later diagnosed with diabetes. His remaining supporters fled him, and later that year, his traitorous disciple Takeshita Noboru was able to topple the Tanaka-backed Nakasone Asuhiro and seize the position of prime minister for himself. Tanaka remained in office, but his influence was functionally gone and his health was failing. He struggled on for two more years, but eventually submitted to the inevitable and resigned from the Diet in 1989. Embittered and defeated, he died from complications arising from pneumonia on December 16, 1993. Takeshita and Kanemaru Shin both died in the 1990s, but one of Tanaka's disciples is still going strong. Despite leaving the LDP in the 1990s, Ozawa Ichiro kept the spirit of his old mentor alive. When in 2009 the Democratic Party of Japan swept into power, some claimed it was already led by a new shadow shogun, Ozawa Ichiro. Even now the man remains a tremendous wheeler and dealer in Japanese politics, complete with his own fascinating corruption scandals. He'll get his own episode later on, but for now it's just important to remember that the spirit of Tanaka Kakue, if not the man, remains alive. So what can we make of Tanaka Kakue? Undoubtedly, Hayes is one of the greatest legacies in modern Japanese politics, debatably rivaled only by that of the great post-war visionary, Yoshino Shigeru. His style of machine politics reliant on money became the dominant model for the LDP, and he helped take that model to the zenith of its power and influence. Tanaka is credited with creating the modern Japanese political system, referred to by its detractors and supporters both by its two most important components, money power politics. His image of the Dokken Koka, or the state and political system driven by public works, also remains alive to this day. Abe Shinzo, the current prime minister, has been promoting Tokyo's successful bid for the 2020 Olympics as a chance to revitalize the Japanese economy via, you guessed it, millions of dollars of public works spending. The legacy of the Dokken Koka, however, is also secured by Japanese debt, since many of Tanaka's projects failed to make back their costs, the cost put the state deeply in debt, contributing to Japan having the highest debt-to-GDP ratio in the industrialized world, well over 200%. He also sowed the seeds for many of the problems of Japan in the 1990s, the infighting in the LDP, the pork barrel projects, the bribery scandals that demolished faith in the bureaucracy, all of these things can be traced back to him to one degree or another. In a lot of ways, Tanaka set the model for Japanese politics. The great struggle of the Japanese system now is, in a certain sense, to find a new model to replace his old one after its more unpleasant aspects were exposed. How that will happen is anyone's guess. That's all for this week. 
For more on this week's episode or any other episode, or to submit your ideas for future episodes, check out the podcast website at www.historyofjapan.wordpress.com or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash historyofjapan. Thank you all for listening, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>